Hello, and thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Billy Newman Photo Podcast. And today we're looking at a photograph that I wanted to introduce you to out of my portfolio from the Steens, or looking up to the Steens from the Alvor Desert. It was, uh, I think, for about a week or so that we camped in the Alvord on the, the, the old lake basin with the, the playa that's there now. It's a really beautiful spot, and it's very cool. Uh, and it's really one of my favorite spots in Oregon. And what I liked about this photograph is this is right before the sun rose uh, where we were camped. I think they were still in the shade, as you can kind of tell by the, by the ground there. But what was neat is as you look up to the, uh, to the eastern wall there, that, that peak of the Steens really rises up thousands of feet higher than, uh, than where we are in the Alvord. And so the sun shines on that earlier, which is really cool to see the dawn light hit the kind of intricate shape of the mountain of the Steens for a few minutes before it rose right where we were around our camp. And I just thought it was a really cool moment. And it's a really beautiful spot to be. This was photographed on film uh, with a wide angle lens and like a Nikon N80. But it was a really great time. And I love being up there in the Alvord. Really cool spot. I'll probably always talk, uh, talk well of it, but amazing to see how the landscape has changed just in the way it used to be wet or it used to be a lake. And now it's just so dry out there. It's amazing how things could change. But it's a really interesting way to see it. You can see more of my work at billynewmanphoto.com. You can check out some of my photo books on Amazon. I think you can look up uh, Billy Newman under the authors section there and see uh, some of the photo books on film, on the desert, on surrealism, on camping. Some cool stuff over there. I like the, uh, like I was saying, I like the October time period, you know, it's kind of a cool outdoor month for stuff. And that's kind of what I was going to talk about too, is uh, kind of layering up stuff for October. Um, I've been trying to kind of build up the the layers of clothes and the layers of like shelter stuff that I have for some of the outdoor travel stuff that I go out and do. And I do it on a budget and I don't really have much stuff. And like other people have a lot more experience of like just getting to try all these different pieces and, and see like the benefits or the uh, kind of weigh out the pluses and minuses of different pieces. Um, and so I'm sure like it's probably the case that like the best gear is always the best gear. But it's kind of interesting to sort of go through those checklists or, you know, like kind of in your mind, like seeing like, well, like how's this work or what's better for me for this thing or, or not. And so um, I've been pretty happy to always have, or for the last couple of years to have like a Gore-Tex rain shell layer. And for a lot of the outdoor stuff that I do in Oregon uh, later into the year, that's been like a real lifesaver for having just like a, a hard waterproof shell that I can like really trust that has like a good hood on it that can keep me dry for most of the day that along with um and I guess kind of like working inward like the puffy jacket makes a huge difference and uh so I use like a puffy jacket all the time there's a few different uh like sizes though and you sort of have to like look at the down fill layer to see what's going to be best for you and like the climate that you're going out to and it's kind of weird. It goes back and forth for me a little bit. So like out here in Oregon, uh, where I am, uh, like west of the Cascades, it's sort of a mild climate area a lot of the year. And so I'm able to, I think you're kind of dealing with like uh, above freezing temperatures most hours and on most days through the year. I think like, you know, there's there's some some sections of the year where you get some some heavy freezes, but outside of those storm times, it's like, it's really like 
pretty mild weather a lot of the time. And if I'm going camping or doing something outdoors in the winter, uh, oh, well, there's just a couple different times I, I definitely use it. But really, for a lot of like the three season work I do, I use a light puffy jacket. I have like this North Face thermo thermoball. I think it's like a like a polyester based one. It's not a down filled puffy jacket, but I've used that for maybe six years now, and I really appreciate having that. I think it's been great. Um, and that's probably one of my most used uh, insulating layers when I'm going out. And, uh, I mean, it works great really all four seasons with uh, kind of paired in these mild weather circumstances like I am here in Oregon like that paired with uh, that shell has been enough for me to go out in, in almost every kind of weather circumstance that I've been in when I've gone out and I've been working or like when I was working outside a lot in the rain and uh, trying to be outside like most days through the fall and winter. It was really fine to do that uh, with a, a strong or like a good Gore-Tex shell that keeps you dry all the way and uh, a, a puffy uh, thermo insulating layer that keeps you warm. So it's pretty cool. But kind of comparing that and I have like this Patagonia jacket that I think has like a, a heavier down fill rating and that has a lot of insulation to it, which is cool. Warm jackets are great. And I definitely take that out kind of in deeper into the winter. But what I noticed, though, is that for a lot of circumstances, like I was saying, three-season work, and while you're you're working or kind of like physically uh, kind of exerting yourself, I've, no- I've noticed like if it's not below freezing, that is too warm of a jacket to wear. And so you kind of get to pick a little bit of like where your your environmental thresholds are, like what kind of environment are you spending a lot of time in? Is it going to be above freezing temperatures or below freezing temperatures? Or is it going to be hot weather temperatures, like where you're working you know, your coldest temperatures might be 50, but you're really going up toward like the 80s and 90s pretty regularly. And that's kind of a different environment to work in too. Uh, so I've been kind of trying to keep an eye on that. But as we're kind of dropping into October, the outfitting stuff that I'm doing is sort of away from the heat gear stuff that I would have been using where I'm in uh, like lighter synthetic shorts and uh, trying to use like lighter layers and stuff uh, like in the winter you kind of get to layer up and stuff which is also kind of fun sweater weather right so uh what i picked up last year and i'm kind of um, excited to put some more use into it was uh, uh, a wool base layer um so i got a wool t-shirt which is great and i kind of appreciate trying to cut out some of the cotton material that i'm using when i'm going out and doing some more outdoor stuff and i guess it's because I, apparently back in the day cotton was uh a great revolution, right? You know, it was a, a more breathable fabric and it would dry faster than other fabrics that they had available to them, I guess is part of what was uh, cool about it. Uh, but as I sort of understand now, it's one of the more riskier types of fabric that you can wear as a base layer when you're out in the woods for a couple of days or when you're out camping or, um, you know, they, they talk in TV shows about when you're in a survival situation. Not really that, but yeah, when you're out camping or if you were going to go hunting or if you're going to go on a couple day photo trip in the woods and you're just going to be living out of your truck and stuff, it, it kind of is, it ends up being a little difficult to use a lot of cotton pieces, especially if you're going to get wet or if it's cold and you don't want to get wet, but you do get wet, man, that's a bummer because the cotton stuff just kind of stays wet and it gets cold when it gets wet. And a couple of those things just sort of lead to it being a little bit frustrating. And I guess that's where some of the the survival complications have happened with people who are out in okay conditions. They get hit with a cold rain or a wet snow and they're in a, like a, an outer let, you know, they're in insulating layers, but they're like a cotton uh, coating 
or like I guess like like a tough, warm, insulated Carhartt jacket. Someone went hunting in that. They got into some wet snow on the second morning. The Carhartt wet pants got, or the 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 pants that were insulated, got wet from the tall grass and brush that they walked through, and then the person became hypothermic because of their exposure to the cold that soaked through their pants that got them very cold. And I think they had to like ditch the pants, get into their sleeping bag that was synthetic. And then they try to like warm them up with a hot water bottle in a sleeping bag or something like that out of the jet boil. But really like it ended their trip. I think they like, they can't continue out of that sort of stuff. So it's kind of interesting. I like that kind of, that kind of thing can go. And I don't know, people have probably heard anecdotes like that. Similarly in the past, I'd heard like someone else talking about like a, a, a warm, weather thing where i think they were going out on like a 42 day canoe trip can you imagine that like going through some big river system in labrador up in canada wow fun times popping down the hudson bay or something who knows uh, and, um, but they would go up there and they would they would talk about like uh, all like the specific limitations on the type of fabrics that they would select to use because like if they got wet in the river or i think it was like a cold weather or who who knows what kind of weather you're going to get sort of circumstance where you go between hot and cold in Canada kayaking or, or canoeing down 1100 miles or something like that just big long trips like that and they would kind of be really specific about how like they they, they won't even have cotton boxers or cotton underwear because it'll it'll be the thing that ends up being a problem other people or another person i think kind of there's there's a lot of great ways to sort of work through this next problem, but I think someone argued that they did have cotton on them so that they could use it as a fire starter if they needed a fire starter. I suggest to just bring fire starter or some other some other material like that. I think it would probably get you by a little better than uh, your your cotton underwear. Um, best fire starter that I've used and heard about was. Well, I mean, yeah, like a stove or whatever. But if you're, if you're trying to light a fire in the winter, like uh, having a, a plastic bag with Vaseline-dipped cotton swabs was like a pretty inert material to just like have in a backpack. doesn't smell like kerosene or something. Uh, and it has multiple uses. You can use it cosmetically for a number of things. Or goodness, if your lips chap, oh, I hate it when it gets dry and cold and you go, oh, man. My pores can't handle it. They were in a different environment, 5,000 feet of difference in elevation a day ago. Too much change and too much seasonal change. And yeah, you get like, I don't know, just rough spots or dry spots or something. So you can use a Vaseline, you can use the cotton swabs for all sorts of different things. But they're fantastic. If you light that up, it's a great little flame ball. And you can use that with the stack of your other dry materials to get a fire going. Uh, even in pretty wet conditions, especially if you're kind of keeping your, your fire starter material uh, protected in uh, some little part of your backpack, keeping it dry and stuff. Um, that works out pretty well, and I think it works better than uh, like your underwear on a rafting trip. Uh, so, uh, but yeah, I've, I've heard that. Yeah, people people try to not use that. People try to like drop their leather belts. Like they won't take a leather belt out into the woods either. Uh, I like having like a sturdy belt. And, like, well, you see, like people with, like big leather boots or whatever. It's not because it gets wa- waterlogged, but I guess because it's maybe a weight thing. I think that's what the idea was. For for the, maybe they're like going backpacking and use like a piece of nylon webbing as a belt at that time, um, or other stuff where like uh, I don't know, just little tricks and things of like how you kind of hide certain materials and other materials and stuff. But uh, it's I don't know, it's weird how it goes. Uh, so I guess yeah, cotton stuff is sort of no go. They talk about using 
wool a lot as sort of like a preferred material to make it out of or down i hear like down stuff is uh kind of a preferred material and then i also kind of hear similarly cited bad things about sort of the petroleum developed products that you get from polyesters or nylons or uh i guess like those polyester insulating foams that you get like those thermoball insulating foam bits that would be in the pouches of another polyester material that makes up like the puffy jacket that I wear for the Patagonia one. That's a down filled uh, puffy jacket. You have little goose feathers poking out, <laughs> poking out of it all the time too. Yeah. If you like, kind of, you feel around the right way, a little, a little goose feather will punch out the side and you pull it out. Hey, poof, a little feather right there. A little, little down feather, uh, which is kind of trippy, but, uh, but those I guess are like a better, insulating system uh than like the synthetic kind of oil-based uh stuff and i guess the same goes for like sleeping bags too if you want to get into like a sleeping bag to keep you warm uh, there's some like the like the 15 degree bags that are well i don't know and it has a couple other features too where i guess it's like light and it scrunches down well and if you get it wet you can get it dry again well i guess it depends on like certain qualities of down sometimes that kind of get i think is a little tricky but the wool i guess you can get you can have get wet you'll stay warm and you can get it dry faster. And I think that's sort of the benefit of the wool on the animal that gets wet too. You know, like if you think about a sheep getting rained on all the time, I guess it's sort of part of the fibers that it uh, doesn't, doesn't attract a lot of odor because it has to be on an animal all the time. And I guess it does well to not have to like make you cold when it gets wet. And I guess that's a big part of it. So a lot of the merino wool fabrics that have come out or the merino wool blends that are with uh, some little bit of spandex or some other kind of natural fiber product that they try and put in helps it kind of be a little bit more durable when they have those little blends. But mostly you want like a pretty strong merino wool fabric. And that's pretty cool if uh, if you're getting sort of like a base layer or something like that that's a little bit more tuned for the outdoors there's like wool sweaters or something that you can find but that's not quite it they're cool old wool, wool shirts you know like an old old pendleton shirt or an old filson shirt that's like a a loggers kind of wool button up that would go under like a like a canvas jacket that kind of thing's cool but that's sort of a different look and it's uh there used to be the the technical gear layering and probably still you'd see if you get like a i don't know like a uh a horse guide like a guided trip with a horse or a mule or something like that that's to pack in a bunch of stuff they probably still use gear that's sort of similar to that without the uh kind of like the the technical synthetic gear that you try and find at like rei hiking places or something or or wherever whatever else similarly branded um but, but yeah it's cool uh trying to do some wool merino underlayers trying to work with those puffy jackets when i can trying to work with um well, I have a, a soft shell that actually gets a lot less use than it used to. I used to try and use soft shells all the time, but but really I, I just kind of go with the wool, the wool base layer, the North Face kind of warm, you know, like warmer temperature rated uh, puffy jacket, and then I have the Gore-Tex layer over that. Um, picked up a hat this year. Hats are pretty cool. Liking that boots. I had a couple of different sets of boots for the October stuff before it gets real heavy in the in the season, before it gets like real wet or rainy. And while I'm kind of doing some of this lighter outdoor stuff, I have um, uh, 
like a, a pair of heavy leather boots that are super cool for some of the deeper hiking stuff that you get into, especially after it's real wet and rainy and stuff, but really for a lot of the light season stuff and sort of summer, spring stuff. I have these uh, Nike SFB boots. It's like that military boot. I picked it up in brown or like a desert tan color. And then I also picked up a similar pair uh, that Under Armour makes. And so they're kind of like a lighter, more athletic shoe from the base, but they have like kind of a tall neck that goes up uh, to like your mid mid upper ankle there. And uh, so it's not like a real tall boot or like it's not like galoshes. They're not waterproof. They're kind of vented on the sides and uh, they dry out. They're kind of like a synthetic material that dries out pretty quick when you do get it wet. But uh, it also has like a good bit of tread and yeah, you can get them wet, get them dry, get them wet. I think they're kind of made for a, a, an okay dry environment. That's sort of where I use them most of the time is, uh, you know, hiking around for any of this uh, kind of lighter duty forest stuff is really nice because they're light boots. Like with those other heavy leather, leather ones, like just the soles of the boots seem like they're a pound each, you know, you kind of like feel it the first couple of days that you're, you're getting back into the use of them during the season where you're like, man, my feet are like four pounds heavier. It seems like each you're just kind of like walking with a weight on it. So it's nice to have a, uh, one of the newer sort of higher tech boots they don't have the same kind of ankle support as like a thicker leather boot does or and they don't have the same kind of heel support i like to talk about like those you know thick uh like like a, a two inch heel or something that like one of those whites boots has or if you get like red wings they have like a real deep uh thick heel on it that you can use to kind of stomp in and cut in on uh, some hiking stuff and uh for these yeah it's just kind of like a, a good a good sort of smooth walking boot and you get some ankle support from that, that tall neck, but it's sort of a fabric uh, so that it really seems like you're just, it's a light boot and it seems like you're ready to, you know, run in it. You can do like a, uh, an athletic maneuver in these pretty well. And it doesn't seem like the boot's going to be too heavy to slow you down. Not, not right for every circumstance. Like if I'm really going in a, a deeper area, uh, it's cool. Really. It's nice to have like the kind of protection of a steel toed leather boot um, but, uh, like the, the normal SFBs I think are not a steel toe. I think, I think these Under Armour ones though are, and I think there are steel toe versions that are out there. Um, but that does seem to, I, I've kind of run into a few circumstances where, uh, for some of the, some of the more woodsy stuff, it really seems like having the steel toe has, uh, helped a lot, uh, to keep, uh, keep my feet protected and stuff. And, uh, if you're hiking a lot, you got to, you got to watch out for blisters and stuff too. One of the big things I've noticed about that is like really breaking in your shoes with three weeks or more, but three weeks of like pretty near full-time use to, to really start getting them broken in or to get kind of the, the feel, the break, the crease, the, the kind of the fabric kind of working together in the way that it's going to fit around your body and stuff. But yeah, it seems like it takes about three weeks to sort of get those, uh, those shoes broken into a spot that, uh, that ends up being comfortable for longer trips and longer wear. I had like a, a pair of Chacos, Oh, man, those Chacos, they were great. You know, you don't, you don't wear socks because you don't like buffer it with wool socks or something. But I remember, I think, working with those for like three weeks or so. At first, your feet, man, they will rub raw. <laughs> Yuck. Uh, but they, yeah, they don't, you'll get some hot spots with the webbing on those Chacos. It's like this real kind of tough uh, webbing. But uh, after like three weeks or so, like after you kind of wear your foot into it so that it's kind of strong enough to deal with it. And you also start breaking in the rubber of the boot or the rubber of that, that foot or the shoe. It's your, it's your foot. But once you get that all kind of broken in, I was able to hike for miles and miles in those and really have no rub problems at all. I think I, I did, I think I did the whole, the whole hiking trip up to the summit of the paintbrush 
divide in the Cascade Canyon, you know, like that, that, that Tetons trip that I talk about sometimes, but yeah, I did that whole hiking trip at the Tetons in early or mid late September, probably right around now. Um, but I did that trip in the Tetons with just those, uh, those black Chacos that I had that had like kind of that boot tread bottom and I did great through that whole trip I did like a 42 mile trip uh, down the lower rogue. That was like a hiking a backpacking trip So you have a back on back you pack on You got these little river shoes on and you're hiking away on the trail And yeah, a lot of the times if you're not really in shape for it, man Those will just rip your feet up pretty badly and i've seen it really affect some people's trips before you know like where their shoes just like really start to bite in on them and it happens really fast as soon as you get like a hot spot or something it can be just a quarter mile or another mile and then like that that problem has been exacerbated a lot um so as soon as like gets bad boom man gets bad fast or it starts to degrade fast and then once it's gone it's it's gone and for a while you know so it's bad uh and it yeah, can cause some some mobility problems when you're out there. So I think kind of kind of dealing with some of that stuff or kind of breaking them in early and stuff is cool. Um, which is what I've been trying to do with some of my shoes. But yeah, trying to get outfitted for the stuff in October. It's been kind of fun uh, trying to work out the uh, the layers and stuff. You can check out more information at billynewmanphoto.com. You can go to billynewmanphoto.com forward slash support. If you want to help me out and participate in the value for value model that uh, we're running this podcast with, if uh, you receive some value out of some of the stuff that I was talking about, you're welcome to uh, help me out and send some value my way through the portal at billynewmanphoto.com forward slash support. You can also find more information there about uh, Patreon and the way that I use it. If you're interested or or feel more comfortable using Patreon, that's patreon.com forward slash billynewmanphoto. also interested in as i've spoken about before on this podcast is i have an affinity for uh, taking photographs on film and i want to get back into that in a way because right now i I don't really have a a film camera with me i still have the the nikon n80 floating around um, though i'm short a lens or you know that's what i'm saying is like i've kind of made an investment now into this whole range of focal lengths that i have and really quite nice pieces of glass over on the Canon side now. And so I'd like an opportunity to be able to take those photographs on film with that range of glass that I now have available to me. So what I'm looking at trying to do is, uh, is trying to pick up one of these older now, but, uh, one of these older, but, uh, one of the last runs of film cameras that Canon had put out. And so I was looking around and trying to do some research for that. When I had talked to you guys before about it, in the podcast, I was mentioning that uh, I had picked up a Nikon F4, a camera that was uh, the full manual camera or, you know, like a, no, I don't know, actually it wasn't full manual. I think it was autofocus and it had it had like a whole color matrix. It was one of the first cameras to have that color matrix uh, auto system in it where you could you could kind of like set it up. But uh, and, the, and the N80 has a lot of those same features, too. What I'm trying to do to get to the point is I'm looking at the EOS line of film cameras that canon had produced in the 1990s and in the 2000s and there's a lot of opportunities there where you can really pick up a very nice camera body that you know will shoot film and that would kind of accompany the 5d mark iii and and all the canon lenses that i have now so i was looking at the eos 1n which i think is the camera that can come out in 1994 it really looks quite a bit like a 5d body shape where it's uh, it's not like the 
it was it's not the oversized body it, but it, it looks you know just kind of like that camera slr body style and it has a bunch of the features on the back i think it has that roller wheel that canon users have come accustomed to it probably was one of the first cameras to introduce that big roller wheel to control your f-stop and then the, the other roller on the front to control your aperture um, so it's kind of it's interesting how, how it's laid out but uh, but it feels and looks almost the same way so i'm looking around at those those came out in 1994 and then in the year 2000, they had come out with the EOS 1, did I say 1N before? What was it? I think I wrote it down over here, though I can't remember what it was. There was the 1N and maybe the 1H? That doesn't sound right. What would it have been? Let's look here. Oh, the 1V. That's, I think, the one I'm looking for. Yeah, the 1V is the... the the film camera that uh, Canon produced in the year 2000 and probably up through like 2006 or 2007 or 2008. There's probably even new versions of that body that are still around if uh, you know there's those hardcore film users out there. So I'm looking around at some of those and uh, on the used market, I think they're they're like three, four, maybe 500 bucks if if it's kind of on the higher end of expense. But uh, but I'm looking at some of those and uh, and it seems like it'd be kind of an interesting uh, purchase to to pick one of those up. Then I could be shooting. Um, you know, film images like I've had an interest in doing uh, with a professional body that kind of matched a lot of the same uh, layout and workflow that uh, that the 5D Mark III that I'm using has. So I'm pretty interested in that. And then, I, you know, I could use all this L glass that I've been making a purchase of, too. So I have had the super wide angle or I don't know, is it super wide? I think it's just a wide angle zoom for that 17 to 40 millimeter F4. I've got the 24 to 70 uh, 2A. I would have the uh, 70 to 200 USM F4. And then I would have a couple prime lenses on top of that. So that's like a pretty full collection of glass that I could use to make a whole bunch of different types of art or, you know, like different, different photographs, different pieces uh, that I'd be interested in trying to produce. Uh, and you know, like a lot of the film stuff I was, I was building, like all the stuff that was on that film book that I put together, that was almost all done with a Nikon 50 millimeter F1.8. And I, maybe like a couple manual focus lenses that I should not have been using, actually kind of knowing better now. <laughs> the optics of those were, were always kind of. Thanks a lot for checking out this episode of the Billy Newman Photo Podcast. Hope you guys check out some stuff on BillyNewmanPhoto.com. A few new things up there, some stuff on the homepage, some good links to other, other outbound sources, some, some links to books, some links to some podcasts, links to some blog posts. All pretty cool. But yeah, check it out at BillyNewmanAphoto.com. Thanks a lot for listening to this episode of the podcast. Talk to you next time.